Hello and welcome to another week of the extras. Uh, this week we're jumping into a new book of the Bible. Uh, I'm joined by Sam. I'm Lachlan. Hello everybody, I'm Sam. It's good to be back on the extras. Uh, this week we have started our new series in the book of Ezekiel, one of the mm. prophets of the Old Testament, the, one of the major prophets of the Old Testament. Uh, not that the other prophets are less important, just mm. more. Yeah, yeah, major in the sense that there's a lot of chapters here. There are, yeah. there are. We're not going to be covering the whole of the book of Ezekiel this term, just chapter 1 to 11, but we got off to a cracking start on mm. Sunday in Ezekiel chapter 1. Sam, where did you go in Ezekiel 1? Yeah, look, I loved it. I, I, think, I was reflecting, actually, I've never taught the book of Ezekiel before, mm. and so this is uh, a new experience for me as well, and so uh, I've been really struck by it. But in Ezekiel 1, I... Um, uh, uh, the chapter is about this this appearance of of the likeness of the glory of mm. the Lord that Ezekiel sees, and uh, part of that is there's lots of strange imagery and uh, making sense of it, um, uh, want, wanting to help help us all understand the significance of of where God's people were up to at this moment, mm. um, being in exile in Babylon and almost feeling like has God forgotten us, mm. and then actually in the place uh, they're actually in the land of their enemies, or Ezekiel is. And, and yet even there, God appears. Mm. Uh, God makes himself known as, as God does. And, uh, and what he makes known to Ezekiel is his incredible glory. And uh, that if you were tempted to think that God's lost control and is mm. no longer mm. kind of got his hand on the wheel or is, is perhaps powerless to help, actually the vision that Ezekiel sees is that actually is quite the opposite. God is, is supremely powerful. Mm. He's almighty and majestic. Uh, nothing is out of his control. Um, and yet it also sets Ezekiel up to understand the God that he's about to go on and represent, the, the, the glorious God of, of, of Israel. Mm. Um, and uh, Ezekiel's got a, got a pretty challenging uh, ministry ahead of him, as we're going to see uh, this week. And uh, so him being clear on the God that he represents is actually really, really important. Yeah, fantastic. It, it is a wonderful chapter. And one of the things I love about these major prophets is the expansive picture of God that they mm. introduce us to. Yeah. Uh, some other passages of the Bible do that as well. But, you know, I have a bit of a poetic heart and mm. so I love seeing it yeah. uh, in these poetic forms. Mm. Look, we only had three questions come in from Sunday, which either means that, you know, all the details of this vision were explained mm. with crystal clarity or that there were so many details and people just got overwhelmed in them and didn't know which one to ask about. <laughs> We'll take the first as, you know, a positive encouragement that things are explained clearly. Uh, but Sam, let's get into these few questions that we've got. Yep. The first one we've already touched on there as you've recapped Sunday. What significance is there to Yahweh's glory appearing in Babylon when to a Jew, God's presence, the glory of God should have been in the temple on the holy hill? Mm. So it would have been surprising yeah. that the glory of Yahweh turns up yeah. by the Kibar River in Babylon. Yeah, um, I've got a couple of thoughts. I'm happy to get us going and um, yeah. maybe we can throw it around a little bit. Um, it's lovely having us both kind of prepared on the on the topic. Um, I mean, yes, I mean, it's really important to understand the setting of this. And, and we're given that setting in verse one, if you've got your Bible there, um, that, that by the Kibar River, which if you've got, if you know, you do a bit of map work, you can see is uh, not in Israel. Um, we're, we're in the land of Babylon and... Yeah, the expectation would be that, you know, an Isaiah, when he sees God, God is seated on his throne in the temple in Jerusalem. Mm. Um, but this is quite different. This is mm. uh, out of out of Jerusalem, out of the land of Israel even. And I think in an in a ancient context, uh, each nation had its own gods. There were gods mm. of Babylon. There were the gods of Assyria. There were, well, everyone has their own gods. And um, 
what what this is showing us is that Yahweh is not just the God of Israel. He is actually God of all the earth and he is free to appear mm. anywhere in his mm. creation uh, to his people whenever he, he uh, chooses. And so that's the first thing that shows us is actually God is not just the God of Israel. Uh, he's the God of the whole world. Mm. He can go anywhere. Second thing I think that it, it shows us is um, we see this... Um, this majestic appearance of God, but it's got, as you get into the imagery as we did on Sunday, what you see is that this is really the imagery of a, of a chariot of, of a kind of um, it's, it's God, the warrior God riding out. Um, and um, God is um, he's far, far from uh, kind of uh, being unable to save or unable to help. God is majestically powerful, which is in um, sharp contrast, I think, to the circumstances that Israel mm. find themselves in in this particular moment. Um, if you only have your circumstances to judge uh, how things are going or even how powerful God is, it would be very tempting in that set of circumstances to think, right, oh, we're finished. God's forgotten us. The promises mm. are lost. Um, the dream of Israel, the dream of God's work in the world, it's all finished because mm. um, we're here we are. Um, prisoners of war in a foreign land, mm. um, and yet um, this vision appears to them in or to Ezekiel in Babylon, which helps you to go, oh my gosh, um, God's not finished. Far from it. He's he's supreme and majestic. Um, mm. The third thing that I think is that I think there's also a a hint of what is to come here is that um, God uh, God actually isn't finished. Um, He's certainly not finished saving Israel, but he's actually also not finished judging them. Um, and this God, it, it's actually a terrifying thing to have this God come against you. Mm. And so there's an ominousness about God's appearance in this way. You do not want to be found offside with this God. Um, and sadly for much of Israel, that's where they are right now. They yeah. are a, a rebellious and obstinate people. And so the idea of a God of this kind of power, this kind of majesty... If you're not right with him, that's a very worrying thing. And so it sort of sets a bit of an ominous tone mm. for, for what is to come. Mm. Um, God is not a God that you can muck around with. He, he is not your mate. He is, is this God of Ezekiel yeah. 1. Um, yeah. There's a couple of thoughts to get us going. Um, do yeah. you want to chuck anything extra on top of that? Look, the only thing, I think that's really helpful, Sam. One of the things that struck me as I reflected on this question, and I'm still wrestling with how to communicate this Sunday by Sunday, mm. uh, the exiles were a mixed bunch in what they thought and believed, mm. as were the people that were left in Jerusalem. Yep. And so, you know, when you talk about what do Australians think or what yeah. even what do Christians think? Yeah. It's there's not everyone breadth, thinks there's the same. There's a breadth of idea there, isn't there? Yeah. So I think for some of the Jews, this would have been surprising to mm. go. They, they might have thought that Yahweh was limited to the land of Israel and limited mm. to the temple. But for others that wouldn't have been so surprising because there are other hints throughout the Old Testament. You know, mm. God turned up in Egypt to rescue Israel out of slavery there. Yep. The Psalms contain praise of God that is not limited to the temple, that not mm. even the highest heavens can contain him. So for some, it wouldn't have been such a surprise. Yeah, that's really helpful. For others, their theology kind of would have limited Yahweh down to Israel. The other thing that came to mind for me is that perhaps more surprising than either of those um, the Babylonians would have been shocked to think that Yahweh was turning up there because mm. they certainly would have had this idea that this was Marduk, their God's yeah, territory. Absolutely. And so for Yahweh to just turn up yeah. uninvited, unannounced yeah. on his chariot, yeah. there's a bit of a shock. Yeah. Now, they might not have heard this. They wouldn't have seen it, but mm. uh, theologically that would have been the bigger surprise, I think, for yeah. the Babylonians. Yeah. Yeah. So yes, certainly this is a moment of expanding for some 
their theology of mm. Yahweh's presence. Mm. And I think in that, there's, I, I think what, like one of the things for Ezekiel, uh, and I think we'll see this this week, is there's an assurance for Ezekiel himself. Um, mm. He's about to go into bat for God against Israel. Mm. Um, and I think there's something that, that puts a bit of like kind of, uh, you know, bit of steel in your spine to, to see God as he is mm. and to go, all right, I'm going to go speak for that mm. God. Like mm. I think one of the, the big things is who's the vision for? It, it's largely for Ezekiel. Ezekiel mm. sees the vision mm. at this point and it actually readies him for his service. And I think um, often God makes himself known to his prophets in a way that readies them mm. for the work that is, that is at hand for them. So, yeah. Second question, Sam. What's mm. all this got to do with Jesus? Great question. Um, I suspect this came out from my side. I don't think I mentioned Jesus at all on Sunday. Okay. You I, can... I, I had a shot. Um, <laughs> um, I think that's a great question. And I think it's the question you want to be asking if you want to read the Old Testament as Christian scripture. Uh, one of the questions that we need to constantly be asking is, okay, well, how does this, how does this help mm. us see Jesus? Um, it's interesting when Jesus meets with his, with his disciples after the, uh, the resurrection, he meets them on the road. Uh, to Emmaus and Luke 24, uh, he, mm. he opens their minds and he shows them everything that's been written about him in the law, the prophets, mm. uh, um, and, and helps them to see him there. And so I guess part of what we want to be looking for as good, good Christian readers of Scripture is how does this particular part of the word point us to Jesus? Mm. Um, uh, I'll have a shot with, with a couple of things that I, I noted. Um one of the things is, um, uh, it's fascinating. As Ezekiel looks up at the vision, it's interesting. He starts to lose clarity at about verse 22 onwards, um, by which I mean he seems to be able to describe things in a fair degree of detail from 1 to 22. But once he hits 22, every he, he amps up the use of, of simile and metaphor. Um, so everything, like once he sees the throne, um, it, uh, sorry, verse 25 onwards, um, you know, um, the, uh, there's a throne of lapis lazuli and there's a figure like that of a man and I saw what appeared to be uh, mm. uh, glowing metal as if full of fire and from there he looked like fire. Like there's all this like like the appearance of a rainbow. It's, it's, and I, I liken it to, you know, when you're looking up in the sky and, um, you know, at the treetops you can make good clarity. Even the first few clouds you can kind of, um, describe them with some accuracy but actually once you're looking at the the sun itself it's just like you, you can't focus on it it's too glorious mm. too bright and it feels like that's what's happening to ezekiel he can't quite see with absolute clarity the, the nature of the figure on the throne mm. Mm. um it is interesting in revelation chapter five that i think is a passage both of us went to um, on sunday um you get a another a, 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 another instance of somebody seeing the throne of God and seeing much of the similar imagery. You've got the yeah. clouds and the lightning, and you've got the four living creatures, and you've got um, you know rainbow. the rainbow, the the um, all this kind of stuff going on in, yeah. in in the same way. And yet John is able to see with clarity who sits, mm. who's mm. who it is that sits on this throne. Um, A, it's Jesus. So there's there I think is the big thing. Like yeah. Jesus is the one who sits on this throne. But it's fascinating that John's insight is that it is um, Jesus who uh, looks as as if a lamb as though slain. Um, mm. And what what I think the New Testament helps us to see is that this God, who is so mighty, so powerful, so holy, um, that we can't approach Him. I, I mean, Ezekiel falls flat down on his face. Um, he's just 
humbled by the glory and majesty of this God. And actually what we're going to see as Ezekiel goes on is that this God cannot be mucked around with an Ezekiel. Uh, sorry, and Israel have done exactly that. But the New Testament shows us that actually Jesus who sits on that throne also sits on it as one who is a lamb that was slain and has actually paid the penalty for uh, our for our rebellion and rejection against mm. this God. Um, mm. Israel rejected him. We have also rejected him. And if and without Jesus sitting on that throne, this God coming against you would be a nightmare. It would be mm. a horror story because his holiness and perfection mm. and righteousness means that you are simply doomed to his judgment. But... Jesus sits on this same throne as the lamb who was slain. And there's, a, there's an assurance there of, I think, mercy and forgiveness and um, God's grace to us, mm-hmm. um, which yeah. I wonder if that's actually hinted at in the little image of the rainbow that appears in, sure. in both um, both descriptions. There's a, Remember, God's promise is that he won't destroy absolutely. There's a, there's a note mm-hmm. of, of hopefulness um, mm-hmm. as the glory of this God appears. So yeah. that's how I show, that's, that was my attempt to sort of show how this... Um, points us to Jesus. Um, I don't know if you want to add anything to that, Lachlan, or, or chime in at that point. Not really add. Uh, I think, you know, I joked before that I didn't mention Jesus, and I may not have by name, uh, but I think one of the things that has happened throughout Christian history and can still be around in contemporary culture and perhaps amongst people in church is a sense that there's a God of the Old Testament, mm. but then we meet something or someone different in Jesus or God mm. changes in mm. Jesus' sense somehow now a different God. And so I wanted to be clear on Sunday that, no, this, this God that Ezekiel mm. meets is the same God that God. we meet now. Yeah. And that's where Revelation 4 and 5 shows mm. th- this is the same God. Jesus is this God, Yahweh. Mm. Uh, yeah. There's some really helpful stuff in the way that the New Testament portrays Jesus to be God, picking up the personal name of Yahweh and lots of correlation there. Mm. But it makes me appreciate all the more something like Philippians 2 where Paul will say, Jesus, being in very nature God, Mm. did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Mm. Being in very nature God, the the God of Ezekiel 1, that that is the glory that Jesus had before the creation of the earth, that Jesus will refer to in John when he's Mm. saying, restore to me that glory. Jesus is glorious Yahweh, Mm. who made himself nothing, Philippians 2, by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Mm. Wow. Mm. Once you spend some time reflecting on the immensity of God, for me, it opens up a greater appreciation of what the humility of Jesus mm. involved and entailed. Uh, now, Philippians 2 would go on, because Jesus died, because Jesus rose again, God has exalted him to the highest place and given him the name above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow mm. in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the worship that Yahweh is due in Ezekiel 1 is the same worship that Jesus is now due because he is Yahweh mm. who came in the flesh to die and rise again. Very helpful. So we're making the same points there, just in slightly different. And that's the beauty angles. of seeing that the whole council of scripture actually all pu- all pulling in the same direction, isn't it? Showing how Jesus is, uh, he is God in the, in flesh. Um, he is the God that Ezekiel saw, but um, even more more perfectly revealed to mm. us in the New Testament. Mm. Mm. Sam, we've got one more question. And look, you and I aren't sure if this came out of one of our sermons on Sunday or if perhaps it's a question lingering from Hebrews Mm. or maybe just a general question that someone had 
Come to church and hey, we welcome that. Yep. Uh, happy to answer any questions. Uh, someone's asked, are we taking God's grace for granted when we struggle with the same sin despite being genuine in repentance each time? Hmm. Yeah, so this is a this is an instance where someone is is wrestling, struggling, fighting, it sounds like, with the same sin, being genuine in their repentance, but still having that sin sort of mm. um, pre- present in their life, it seems, se- seeking to repent. And, um, and and the question is, am I taking God's grace for granted? Mm. Mm. Um, that is certainly a, a situation I, I suspect many can um, relate to um, and to feel the sense of um, sort of, I don't know, um, to be dogged by a sin can be just frustrating yeah. and difficult. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so um, brother, sister, I, I, I resonate with you and um, I, yeah, I, I know what that's, I know what that's like. Um, I guess I, I would want to, um, it's, it's hard to make an assessment from afar um, without knowing True. the ins and outs of, of a particular situation. I think one of the things that I found very helpful in my own thinking about repentance is to see the difference between repentance of sin and remorse mm. for sin. Mm. So one of the things that I know that I do, um, and I and I am trying to repent of this behaviour, uh, but I feel remorse for you know you know that moment where someone makes it clear to you just what you've just done, mm. or, or you mm. realise your conscience um, speaks to you, and you're like, oh my gosh, or God's word speaks to you, and you think I've done that, um, and what do you feel? You feel remorse mm. at that moment. Um, now. That's that's right and proper. I think that that you look at behaviour and you think, I wish I hadn't done that. That was not a good thing. Um, we don't want to be celebrating sin, uh, but re- remorse is not quite the same as repentance. Uh, whereas repentance is is the is I guess the next step, which is now I'm remorseful for my sin, but I actually also now want to turn up, turn all around and go in a different direction. Mm. I don't want to go that way mm. anymore. And so. Um, so it depends, I guess, first thing in terms of trying to sort through your own um, repentance is, is asking the question, are you repenting or are you having genuine remorse and then finding yourself back in the same place? You see the distinction mm. I'm trying to trying mm. to draw there? And I think repentance and remorse are not the same. Um, and uh, the gospel calls us to repent, not just to feel, mm. feel remorse. So um, that'd be the first thing I think I'd be trying to ask. Um, uh, and again, secondly, depending on what is the sin, what what does repenting of it look like? Uh, and again, without knowing yeah. the details of that, um, like I think um, a big part of of uh, helping you to repent, um, I I find it very helpful when I'm trying to repent of a sin. Um, to share that journey with somebody, to, to actually confess. Like, it's good yeah. to confess to God. Yeah. It's also good to confess that to another person. Now, it might be the person that you sinned against. Um, it might also just be another trusted Christian friend who's trying to help you walk well with God and actually um, share with them what you intend to do differently now that you seek to repent mm-hmm. uh, and change your lifestyle on this particular um, whatever the thing is. And so... I think that is also a guard to help it from being just feeling bad and then doing it again, but actually thinking, no, no, I'm actually genuinely seeking a, a change of lifestyle mm. here. Mm. Um, uh, I, I feel like I've started a fair bit. I, I might pause and just throw to you, Lachlan. What, what do you think uh, on this? I've got some more thoughts, but I'll, I'll okay. pause because I've been talking a lot. And I, I think it's good for you to uh, jump in and, sure. and chime in at this sure. point. Uh, look, I, when I saw this question, my mind went to the same place as you there on the confession to a brother or sister in Christ. Because mm. I think that uh, is a part of the repentance journey. Mm. It's 
taking seriously the desire to see change brought about. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think until that point, um, you know, it's, we can harbour, and I speak from experience here, um, similar to what you're saying about the remorse, I, I don't want to sin again, but part of me does still. Mm. And so that holds me back from confessing because I go, once I've confessed, then mm. the part that still wants to keep sinning is going to have to go. Mm. And so until I get to that moment, uh, am I taking God's grace for granted? I wouldn't want to use that language necessarily. It's possible. Yeah. When we're talking about the internal motives and so on, we have to have a fuller discussion individually about circumstances. Yep. But it might be that I don't hate the sin enough yet. Mm. And so I still am feeling some of that remorse, oh, but I still love the sin. Mm. And part of me wants to keep going back there. Yeah. So confessing to a brother or sister in Christ helps put to death the part that loves the sin. Mm. Uh, Mike Everett always step. says sin is like mold mm. and it uh, thrives in the darkness, but bring it out into the light and that's a great way to kill it off. Yeah. 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 No, I, I think I, I, I concur with that. Um, the other thing I think is, um, are you, the third thing I would add is, are you bringing the gospel to bear on, on the sin? So um, I think one of, the, one of the books that I've worked through with a number of people who've been dealing with a, a sin that's perhaps become a bit stubborn and they've sort of been stuck in a little bit is a mm. little book by Tim Chester called mm. You Can Change. Yeah. Uh, and I love the optimistic title of that, uh, of that book, that you can book. change. Yeah. Uh, and one of the things that he does so well, as well as talking about some of the things that we've just talked about, is talk about um, do do we actually believe the gospel about this particular thing? That is, do we believe that sin is as bad as God says it really is? And do we believe um, that Jesus is as good as he says he is? And um, are we really looking to change um, because we genuinely believe that living God's way is good um, and that the gospel, like being forgiven and and uh, rescued from sin is is the most wonderful thing that can happen mm. to us. And like, mm. I really appreciate the way that that gets in and thinks about our hearts in the whole thing. Because a little bit like you said, Lachlan, sometimes we feel bad for the sin and we kind of don't want to do it again, but our heart hasn't yet changed to the point that we think, no, I, I really do see the wickedness of that thing. Mm. I don't mm. want that in my life mm. anymore. Mm. Um, sometimes I wonder if um, we give ourselves too much permission to harbour a kind of play, like playing around with sin a little bit mm. like it's, it's okay mm. and I think again I found that book just very helpful and every time I've worked through it with someone I keep going oh that's right I need to keep hearing that too yeah so. Sam thanks for your thoughts it's been good to have a chat uh, particularly on that question if you're listening and you ask that mm. might be something to chat about in more detail uh, in a person conversation you could raise that with your growth group leader that would be a good chat to have or someone else in your growth group or a ministry team leader, or come and find Sam or myself, and we'd mm. love to chat some more as well mm. and help you see some progress in that uh, ongoing struggle with sin. Nice one. Uh, Sam, thanks for the chat. We'll be into Ezekiel 2 yeah. this coming Sunday. Give us a little sneak peek. Where, where are you heading this Sunday? Well, we see the God that kind of appeared in chapter 1 now speaks yeah. in chapter 2. Yep. Uh, Ezekiel doesn't speak. He kind mm. of sits back and... Mm hears the word of God and it is shocking to him. Uh, so he ends this section sitting silent for seven days, deeply distressed. Uh, we'll see if that's how people respond on Sunday to God's word. Might be. <laughs> it's happened after a sermon's operation. But... <laughs> uh, but no, we'll see what God has to say, particularly to rebellious Israel. Uh, they're characterised as rebellious in this section. So there'll be a bit of discussion about 
what it means to rebel against God. Mm. We'll see you there on Sunday. See you then.